Do you remember back in high school, the group of people that nobody wanted to spend any time around? The geeks, the nerds, the losers. You recognize, of course, that if you spent any time with them, if you had to, you spent most of your time looking over your shoulder because you knew if anybody saw you hanging around them, you would be guilty by association. And so you didn't want to spend any time with them. Well, back during the time of Jesus, there was also a class of people that you didn't want to hang around if you wanted to be considered in the elite among the Jews. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 calls them tax collectors and sinners. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, the text says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was not concerned about the societal standing of those with whom he came in contact. Rather, he was concerned about saving souls. And when those who looked down their noses at other people grumbled about him and those with whom he spent time, he told them three stories one of which is among the most famous of Jesus' parables, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. Let's look in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And we'll read the first part of this parable. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. In verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. What an amazing story. But as we read this story, we need to recognize that the story of the prodigal son is not just some story about some unnamed individual who is out in the world somewhere at some time. This story is our story. We are the prodigal. And this is the story that God wants for us. And I'd like for us to examine this parable and learn some things about our lives and where we have been and see our story here in the story of the prodigal son. 
And I'd like for you to examine your life. And if at the end you find that your life has not finished the story of the prodigal son, I hope that we can convince you to follow his example. The very first thing that we learn from the story of the prodigal son is that sin is deceptive. In the beginning of the story, the young man goes to his father and says, Give me my part of the inheritance. And then he goes off and spends it on wild living. You see, in his mind, he had two options. He could do things his father's way or he could do things his way. And he thought that doing things his way would provide a better life. But he was deceived. Because in the end, doing things his way caused him to be out in the fields among the pigs, eating their leftovers, and being glad to get that. How deceived this young man had been. But this is our story. We have been here. Our sins have promised a great deal. They promise fame and pleasure and happiness and fortune, power. But that's not what they deliver. Go back to the very first sin. Look in Genesis chapter 3. The long history of sin as it begins in Genesis chapter 3. It was the same then. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. In verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave all to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lawn coverings. Here the serpent comes to Eve and tempts her. God has said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. What did Satan say? You won't die. No, instead of dying, you'll become like God and you'll know good and evil. Won't that be awesome, Eve? He makes a little bit of truth with a little bit of a lie. And he tempted Eve to eat. And when she looked at that fruit, she saw that it was good for food. Boy, I bet that fruit tastes good. And it was a delight to the eyes. It sure is pleasant to look at. I think anybody would look at this and want this fruit. And able to make one wise. It's going to make my life better. I'm going to grow and be stronger if I take this. Satan told her, you'll be like God. But he conveniently glossed over the communion that they already had with God, the fact that they were already created in the image of God. And he said, you'll be like God, now you'll know good and evil. Would Eve know good and evil if she ate of that fruit? She certainly would. But did she want to know it this way? Certainly not. And when she ate that fruit, 
came face to face with the understanding that when God said, you will surely die, he did not mean physical death, but meant separation from him, spiritual death. And that is exactly what happened when her eyes were opened. And then the punishment came, and we know the story how they were removed from paradise. And man would have to work from the sweat of his brow, and woman would have to have pain in childbirth. Sin promised a great deal, but it was deceptive. And it's not different today. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. The Hebrew writer says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that some of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive us. It will lie to us. It will promise a great deal, but it will leave us eating the hog slop. And that is exactly where every single one of us have been. At some point, every single one of us have taken a look at our options. We've seen the Father's way and we've seen our way. And at some point, we have chosen our way. We have asked for our inheritance and we have spent it on profligate living. Going against the Father's will. And He has allowed us. He has given us our free will. And let us go if we chose to. And we have. But sin deceived us. And what we need to learn from the prodigal is that sin is disgusting. I want you to consider this picture in Luke 15. Here is this young man, a Jewish man, no doubt, who is now spending his time with what his people considered one of the most vile, unclean, defiling animals. And he is eating their leftovers. I want you to just get that image in your mind. Being in the pig pen. Eating from that trough. The disgusting leftovers that they've already rolled in the mud and rummaged through. And life being so miserable that you're glad to get that. Please understand that when Jesus told this story of this prodigal son, He was not telling us that here is a man who has run down life's path, run down sin's path, and is finally at the end of his rope. He wants us to understand that this is actually where everyone in sin is, whether they realize it or not. When we are living in sin, we're feeding with the hogs, defiled and unclean. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 11 describes it. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 11, the proverbialist said, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. We understand that this foolishness he's talking about certainly at the very least includes sin because Peter quotes this verse in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. And in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 he says, It has happened to them according to the true proverb 
a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Isn't that disgusting? I almost just don't even want to read that verse because it is so close. Having the image of a dog returning to its own vomit. And yet he says that's what it's like when you're in sin. So do you realize it or not? Certainly there are some sins that are repulsive to us. Murder, rape, incest. But what about the sins that we commit? Are they repulsive? What about gossip? What about lying? What about cheating on tests or on your taxes? What about forsaking the assembly? What about looking on to a woman to lust after her? What about those sins? What about our sins? Do we view those as repulsive? Do we realize how disgusting they are and how despicable we become when we are in those sins? Can you imagine seeing that prodigal son out in the field with the pig? That's us in our sin. That's what we look like. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But that's our story. We have done that. Every single one of us who have passed the age of accountability and come to the age where we can refuse evil and choose good have made that choice and we have all gone to the pit. But our story doesn't have to end there. Our story doesn't have to end there. The story of the prodigal does not end there. The next thing that we learn is that if we want to do something about this, repentance is necessary. There in Luke chapter 15, it says in verse 17 that this prodigal son came to his senses. But he did more than come to his senses and he did more than realize how bad the situation was. He recognized that, you know, if I had just stayed in my father's house, the servants have it better than I have it. If I just a servant in his house, my life would be better. I really ought to do things my father's way. But he didn't just stay out there in the pig field and dream about the way things could be in his father's house. He decided to do something. He repented. And he turned. And the text tells us that he went back to his father. Can you imagine how humiliating that would have to be? Think about all the things he must have said to his father when he was convincing him, give me my inheritance. And as he was leaving his home and his father was trying to tell him, this really is not the way to do it, son. You really don't want to go out there. As he was giving him advice on how to live, can you imagine what that son said to his father? The hateful things he might have said. The smart aleck things. And now he's going to have to come back to his father with his hat in his hand and say, you were right all along. I was wrong. I've sinned against you, and I'm not worthy to be your son. How humiliating that would have had to be. And yet that is exactly what he did. As we look at this prodigal son, we see the first four beatitudes. Look in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Look at this prodigal son. Poverty of spirit. You know, at one time, he thought his way was the way. 
But now he realized it wasn't. He was destitute and bankrupt, and he understood that. He was poor of spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. You think there was some mourning going on out in that pig pen? As he thought to himself about how great his father's servants had it and how bad he had it, he realized he was bankrupt, and he mourned over it. Weeping. Blessed are the gentle, the meek. The idea of keeping strength in check and submitting to someone else, that's exactly what he did. And he humbled himself and he went back to his father and said, despite all those things I said before, I'm ready to do things your way. And I'm not even willing, I, I can't even be your son anymore. I know that, but I'll be your servant. I'll do everything you tell me. Please just let me back in your house. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He wanted to be in his father's house so bad he was willing to do anything, including going and begging to his father. That's what we need. Is that part of our story? I know the first two points are part of your story. What about this one? Have we been able to recognize our bankrupt state before God? Or do we, are we still out there thinking that our way is still good and we can still do things the way we want to do them and everything will be all right in the end? God wants us to realize how bankrupt we are, being poor of spirit. Have we mourned over our state? Has it saddened us that we turned away from our Father and did things our way and left Him there at the house? What about meekness? Have we been willing to humiliate ourselves before God? Bowing down before Him, seeking His service, recognizing that we have no right to be declared one of His children, and so we're willing just to be a servant, just to do what He says. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness enough that we'll do it? That we'll get up out from among the swans and take that trip back from the distant country and go to our Father and ask Him to take us back. Is that part of your story? It can be. If it's not, think very seriously about it. Because the fourth thing that we learn from the story of the prodigal is that grace is necessary. The son had to get up, and he had to go back, and he had to ask of the father. He couldn't stay out where he was and continue living the way he was and everything be all right just by thinking about it and realizing how bad things were for him and knowing all the wrong that he had done. He had to go back. But can you imagine if he was traveling from that distant country back to his father? I can almost picture the number of times that he was walking along the road and then thought, no, dad will never take me back and started back. And that, no, I've got to go. I don't want to go back to the pig field. I want to be with my father. Can you think of the number of times that he thought, but think of all the things I've done and all the things I've said, and he was right all along and I didn't listen. How He'll never take me back. Can you see that in your mind's eye with the prodigal? And yet, when he got there, he didn't even get up to the house. Where was the father? He was looking. 
How many years had it been? The father was still looking. And when the son came in, he was trying to go through his rehearsed speech. He was trying to get it all out. I'm not really, I'm not able to be your son. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be your servant. He couldn't even get it all out. The father came up to him and hugged him and embraced him and said, get out the fatted calf, let's kill it, let's eat, let's celebrate. There was no questioning, there was no doubting, there was only mercy and grace and acceptance. The father had not spent those years in bitter anger at this son for his sin. He had spent those years wanting the son to come back. Despite all that the son had done. And that is exactly how God deals with our sin. He is not in heaven with bitterness and anger in His heart, wanting to fry us because of our sin, hoping that we never come back because then He might have to forgive us. He wants us to come back. He wants us to come out of this field of swine that we've so willingly gone into. He wants us to come back and be willing to be His servants. And if we do that, He accepts us as sons. What amazing grace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God demonstrates His own love. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. God so wants us to come back that even while we were off in the distant country, living our wild lives, choosing to go our way, He sent His Son to die for us. So that when we came back to Him and said, Father, You were right all along. I ought to do things Your way. The sacrifice would be in place to wash our sins away. That's amazing. It doesn't matter what we've done where we've been, who we are, how bad we've been. God is looking out in the direction of our distant country, wanting to see us come back to Him. And He's working for that. He's not willing that any should perish, but He's patient, waiting for all to come to repentance. And that includes you. How many of us have felt like that thought of I know I want to go back, but I'm not worthy. There's no way He would take me back. Well, you just don't know all the things that I've done. But God knew all the things you would do and sent His Son to die for you anyway. You know, if I was God, you might have to worry about that because I don't know all the things you've done. And if you told me, I might be pretty shocked if you were God, I'd be concerned about this because I guarantee you if I told you some of the things I've done, you would be shocked. But God's not shocked. God knew when He put His Son on the cross exactly what you would do. And He put His Son on the cross anyway. That's amazing. This is our story. I know the first two points are all of our story. Sin has deceived us. And we've gone into it and it's disgusting. 
Have you gone through the rest of the story yet? Don't stay out with the pit. Wallowing in the mire. Returning to the vomit. Turn to the Lord. His grace is waiting for you. He wants you to come back. Would you pull out your songbooks, please?